And in talking about this topic, I actually wanted to start with uh, you know a, a story from my background as an advisor. Uh, you know, when I was first getting started, one of the first big clients that I got, uh, his name was Roger, and Roger was uh, uh, retiring as an executive from a, a fairly large company. He had a a very nice pile of equity that he'd gotten in shares over the years. Uh, retiring was a very big liquidity event, one of those like really never need to work or worry about money ever again. Uh, Roger was a really big golfer and just, you know, he did business on the golf course. Uh, he closed deals on the golf course and he couldn't wait to just only be able to play golf and not need to worry about all the business stuff and all the rest and, and, and de-stress his life. And so Roger retired. He had his big transition and he came in for our first review meeting about six months into retirement. And he said, uh, I can't take it anymore. I'm like, you can't take William or like you're playing all the golf. You wanted to play like what's wrong. He's like, yeah, I, you know, it's the, it's my same buddies. They're recycling all the jokes. Like we're playing four or five times a week, every week for six months. Like after 30 weeks, they just keep recycling the same jokes. It's getting horrible. I, I don't know if I want to golf with them anymore. I got you know, 30 years of this. So six months later, he came in again for first full year review. Uh, Roger is borderline depressed at this point. He wasn't playing golf anymore and he wasn't doing much else. Cause the only thing he really liked doing is playing golf and like the same foursome over and over again, it sucked all the joy of the golf out of him. So he didn't even know what to do with himself. Six months after that, he came in for another meeting as we were going through our, our ongoing process. Uh, this one had a new planning issue because he was now on the verge of divorce uh, all of his unhappiness with his retirement and getting fed up with golf and then having nothing to do basically meant he was just staying at home all day, uh, and driving his wife absolutely nuts. And, uh, from what I gathered, basically fell into his old habits as an executive. He was someone who tended to boss people around and he could do that with some of his employees. His wife didn't take that very well. Uh, and so it got to the point where I, 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 I end up suggesting to him, like, have you ever thought about unretiring? Like, go back to work and get out of your house where you're driving your wife nuts before you actually have to go through with this divorce. Like, go back to your old industry. Like, you can consult, you can find an advisory board role. Like, you know, a lot of things you can do as a, a successful executive at a, at a company. And And he was really challenged by this. Said, look, I, I don't, why would I just, I don't need the money. Like I spent all these years working and trying to get the company to the point where I could exit and get the dollars I didn't have to work again. Like, why would I go back now? Like everything I worked towards was to not need to do that. And so we eventually convinced him to try it. If only to say, look, like you got to do something to fill your time. Cause you're clearly uh, not even just bored, but actually getting really miserable with it. And so he did. And so six months after that, when we saw him at the two-year mark, Roger was transformed. 
He was sitting on two advisory boards. He was doing some consulting work for his old company. Uh, he was actually making some pretty good money on it and, and blowing all of the money because he already had like way more than he needed. So everything that was coming in was just extra gravy, free, free money, surprise money that they never planned on. So taking some fun, lavish trips, enjoying the money. And, and he said something at that point that I'll never forget. It's very much what still carries me forward to really have this conversation with all of you today. He said, I wish I had not retired earlier. I wish I had not retired earlier. And and I think Roger's story is emblematic of, of why we need to think about retiring retirement. If you go back to the origin of retirement itself, or just like the, the etymology of the word, to retire means to withdraw, to back away. And it wasn't necessarily something that we chose for ourselves. Like if, if we go back to the roots of retirement, retiring was not something that people did originally. Retiring was something you did with equipment at the factory that didn't work anymore. When the equipment got too old and it was obsolete, you retired that piece of machinery and you went and got another one. And in the factory area of the Industrial Revolution, when the humans got too old and we couldn't do our part as the cogs in the machine, eventually the the old human became obsolete. The factory wanted to bring in a new human to replace them. And you had to retire the old obsolete human. Like that's the, that's the foundational origin of retirement. It was something the business did to you because you couldn't do the work anymore. Now in the 1900s, that began to shift because life expectancies increased. And suddenly that time period after work when you couldn't work anymore, it wasn't just sort of immediate death shortly thereafter. It could last a while. It could last so long that you actually needed to have a little bit of savings. You had to accumulate some of those wages you were earning for your factory work so that you could actually provide for yourself when you couldn't do the factory work anymore. And then retirement began to shift. I think, frankly, when uh, our financial services industry got a hold of it and turned retirement from providing for yourself when you could no longer work into, well, wouldn't it be great if you saved more and even faster and then you could retire earlier when there's still time to actually enjoy that retirement. And we turn retirement into something you didn't do anymore when you couldn't work into something that you pursued by accumulating more assets. So you could have more golf, more leisure time, more travel time, more of all those things that Roger wanted. And you built up your assets as quickly as you could in order to get there. Also very good if you were in the business of gathering assets as the financial services industry is. But the problem now that we are a couple of decades into this modern retirement era is that we've discovered it's not actually a a natural state of being for a lot of human beings. You know, it's folks like Roger who, by 18 months in, like, bored of golf, done it, not fun anymore, getting depressed, on the verge of divorce, just retirement was a miserable disaster. We, as human beings, we are so good at adjusting. We adjust very quickly, including to a life of leisure. You know, vacations work because we're vacating from something and we go back to it afterwards. It's the change of pace that makes it interesting. And in fact, what we're now finding is that 
the research on human well-being shows that our careers are actually a major pillar of our well-being. It's part of our engagement with our community. It's part of our social connections and simply part of our purpose. It gives us a reason to get out of bed every morning, which Roger didn't have a year into retirement. And so when you retire, when you withdraw from work, you not only withdraw from work, you withdraw from community, you withdraw from social connections, and you potentially withdraw from purpose. Now, we've all seen people who are in jobs that they don't enjoy and then they're anxious to get away from. And I, I don't mean to be negative about work. Retirement is a way to withdraw from that bad job that we don't want to do anymore, or perhaps that we've gotten to the point where our bodies can't do anymore. But I know I've also seen a lot of people, including folks like Roger, that work far longer than they need to because they simply enjoy it. You know, we see this a lot in careers that don't have a physical component, uh, doctors, lawyers, even financial advisors ourselves. And so the, the key distinction is that for those people, retirement is less about withdrawing from work than maybe just transforming your work to do the stuff you enjoy doing that you frankly wouldn't want to retire from because it gives you a productive, engaged life. So this raises some interesting questions about what the future starts to look like. First and foremost, raise the question, what would you do with your time if you didn't need to generate income from it? Perhaps you are one of those people that really does enjoy the life of leisure, you want the life of leisure, and you don't think you're going to attenuate too quickly as Roger did to the life of leisure. Maybe you'll find purpose in volunteerism, giving back to your community. There are a lot of ways that we can stay engaged. But for many people, it turns out the purpose is, is work. Not maybe work as we think of it in slaving away to a job to earn income, but finding a productive way to contribute to society, which often is rewarded in the form of dollars and income. And so it might sound like a distinction without a difference, this sort of idea of what does it look like to retire from a job versus retiring from work altogether. But it's really a profound shift because now what we're talking about is, I think in a very true sense, the retirement of retirement, this idea that we get to a point where we stop working, and the rise instead of financial independence. Being financially independent means you do what you want to do with your time without the assumption that it will be income generating, but without the assumption that it won't be income generating. So we had another client we worked with a few years ago. Her name was Wanda. Wanda spent years working as an engineer. She worked, frankly, uh, very, very hard for a lot of years had a lot of hard things that happened in her life that set her back financially more than once with both divorce and some tough situations with adult children. And so when she finally got to the point that she could retire, she was thrilled to be able to do it. And she took up her hobby, which was making window treatments, cur curtains and hangings for windows in your home. And it turned out she had a gift for it. Her hobby actually turned into a little business not huge, but she started making ten dollars or $20,000 a year selling window treatments on the side, her hobby in retirement. Except for Wanda, because she never had a lot of money in the first place, that $10,000 a year was an immense impact, right? If you just think about it from a withdrawals perspective, particularly at low rates today, you might need one or several hundred thousand dollars 
to generate ten or twenty thousand dollars a year of income. The fact that she was doing this meant she didn't actually need nearly as much of a nest egg as the, she thought she did, and that actually ended up creating a lot of regret for Wanda, because she too had this realization: if I'd known that I was allowed to still do something that would make work after I retire, I would have actually done this sooner. Like Roger, she didn't even realize income was on the table, but for Wanda, having income on the table actually meant the opportunity to get there sooner. And we're now seeing this writ large across the US. The fastest growing age segment of entrepreneurialism in the US is age 65 to 74. But all of this builds in a world where we're not necessarily trying to retire because it carries this implication of not working, of withdrawing from work. When often work gives purpose, it gives value, it gives meaning, it gives social connection, it gives uh, community connection, and it can even turn out to make some money. And so I would advocate for beginning to retire retirement and starting to talk about financial independence instead where you have the flexibility and the financial freedom to pursue whatever you want to pursue with your time and your focus, regardless of whether it happens to generate dollars or not, but recognizing that if it does generate dollars, you might actually even get there sooner. And so stated more simply again, I would simply ask, if it didn't matter how much you earned, what would you do with the rest of your time on, on earth? And if it turns out that you might end up doing something that generates some income, so you wouldn't even need as much to get there and be financially independent, how soon would you go through that non-retirement transition? And so that's my thesis for why it's time to retire retirement and start thinking about financial independence and a wider range of choices that we get in a realm of financial independence. How have you practically implemented the proposition you're putting in the practice? Maybe take a moment, in fact, to give um, a, a quick profile of the role that you're playing at the moment as uh, kind of, uh, if, if I could put it this way, resident thinker um, and, and consequential speaker um, in, a, in a wealth practice. So. Give me a sense of how you're implementing the proposition that you're putting. So I, I, I find from, from kind of a practical perspective, there are two big things that begin to change when you start approaching this way. The first is just literally having the conversation with clients. And I really do ask clients a version of this question. You know, if it didn't matter how much you earned, what would you do with your time? And asking that and some follow-up questions, you know, tell me more about that. Like, what would, what would you do? What would that look like? Sometimes it comes like, is that thing people would actually pay you for? Like, could you sell that or could you get paid to do that? Uh, but starting with this conversation of just, if it didn't matter how much you earned, what would you do with your time? And pushing clients a little, get past the, like, I play a lot of golf. Okay. I've had some folks that play a lot of golf. After six months with the same foursome, it gets a little boring. And you got like 30 plus years to go on your retirement. It's like after that, what, what else would you do? What else would you do? And, and just having that question, having that conversation where it's not about what are you going to do when you stop working, which carries this sort of 
implied judgment. You're only supposed to answer things that don't involve work or making money. When you just ask if it didn't matter how much you earned, right, it could be a lot or a little or nothing. What would you do with your time? I find is a very, very different conversation with clients and often starts leading back to things that lo and behold might actually be income producing. Now we're in the future. So the first part is having that conversation, right? As I think as many of us experience with clients, when you ask clients different questions, you get very different conversations. So the first big key is reframing that question. The second thing I find that happens from just a, a practical perspective is all those financial planning retirement projections we start running look very different because what you end out with is often very long extended periods of part-time income. It's not the traditional projection, like here's all of your money coming from work and then you retire and you stop work and the like cliff falls off. And then at that point forward, all of your dollars are coming from your portfolio or other financial assets or pension or whatever those income sources are that doesn't involve your labor. When you start running projections where you've introduced this possibility of what essentially becomes some level of part-time income or part-time entrepreneurship, sometimes it becomes full-time, but often it's at least partially scaled back. Uh, it really changes the numbers. All right, if you just think about things like taking a, a couple percent return, you know, four, five, six percent withdrawal off your portfolio or whatever you consider a, a safe rate there. Uh, you know, someone that's taking out, someone that can earn $20,000, like I would have needed $400,000 of assets in order to do that. So if you can do this on a sustaining basis, I can essentially create $400,000 of additional resources for you in terms of that labor that you were discounting that you don't need to discount. And if I put the equivalent of $400,000 of your human capital back onto your balance sheet, suddenly we're talking about retirement or again, as I would frame it, financial independence, that could be years earlier. I mean, we've started this conversation with people who said, I got to keep working 15 more years until I'm 65. And then maybe I can have enough money to never work again. And by the end of the conversation, they've got a four-year roadmap. And that's all it takes. So you know, 15 years is, oh my gosh, I don't know when I'm going to get there. I hope I get there someday. Four years, like, okay, wait, I just like, I do this, this, that, and the other thing. And then I'm out of this job and company that I don't like, and I can go do the thing I always wanted to do. And you know what? I might make only one fifth of the income. And it turns out that's more than enough. So it starts with changing the conversation, ask different questions, you get a different conversation. Then it starts migrating to a very different kind of financial planning process. One that I also find is much more conducive to doing interactively. So we'll, we'll put the planning software up on the screen. So we can actually start manipulating this live. It's like, so what happens if you can make 20,000? What happens if you make 30,000? What happens if you do this in three years? What happens if you do this in eight years? And they can start seeing and understanding the levers and really begin to change and reformulate what their plans are and the entire trajectory of, of their, I was going to say retirement, but they're no longer retirement anymore. I'd, I'd, want to make the suggestion and uh, you don't need to comment on this because I've got one more question to push back on you in a moment um, but I'd want to make the suggestion and in reframing the conversation you eliminate the word retirement out of your lexicon and every time a client uses it you call them up on it because that's not what we're dealing with mm -hmm. do you reckon yeah uh, you know, uh, 
language is very, very powerful, right? And in particular, I think because retirement is a very loaded word that for most people means the cessation of all work and anything attached to it. And they end up crossing off a huge number of choices and possibilities from their world by making that assumption. So yeah, we're very deliberate to not use the word retirement and use the word financial independence, which we typically have to, you know, frame and explain to someone the first time. Uh, but when you just start talking about independence, right? Independence is about freedom. It's about more choices. Retirement is about withdrawal. It's about fewer choices or a narrower range of choices. And so, so question, using different language prompts different conversations and thought patterns. There's a question about sabbaticals and whether that's a, a, an idea on the way through to include in the conversation. Maybe a quick response to that, and then I'll come to uh, a final question. And uh, I'll put something to you about what your view is. A final question. Uh, yeah, I, th I think sabbaticals certainly can play into this as well. You know, the interesting effect you get just when you recognize this dynamic, you end out with a very different kind of planning process overall, because so much of our world is built up to, I have to work and work and work and work, and you never take pauses or breaks because that sets you behind on accumulating this giant nest egg that you need to get to the point where you never, never have to work again. And if you view it differently, like, well, maybe I'm going to have three to five different careers that each run different stints. I'm going to do them until I enjoy them. And when I don't, I'm going to take a pause, a year or sabbatical, and then I'm going to go study something else and go a different direction. And I'll build that for a while. I don't have to build a 30-year nest egg. I have to build a bunch of one, two, three, or five-year transition eggs, which are not nearly as large. And so the pace of career can actually cycle faster. You can make more shifts and transitions. Uh, you know, frankly, it's something I find our software tools are not very good at, at modeling. And I do think there are clients I find that still, that one is challenging to them. Uh, the idea of like shifting and pausing and starting over when I'm making such good momentum in my track, I find is still different than I got to the point where I'm independent and I could do anything while I'm just going to pick something that makes money. But yes, I, I do think this is the direction that it goes. And, and frankly, as we get more medical advances and more health stability and more ability to count on the fact that we can have very long productive lives, I think we will see more of this phenomenon where it's much more about having small nest eggs to make the transition and appropriate insurance in place because we do have to protect against what happens if something happens to my health and I can't work. And so as long as we check those off, we can just cycle faster. Let me wrap a couple of things together here as a close. Um, there's a question about how this notion would impact on retirement portfolio construction. And tied in with that is a question that comes in about the, the, the economic circumstances of different countries, including Australia, as a consequence of all the debt being racked up as a consequence of COVID and what government support is likely to be able to be. So... How much of a utopian dream is what you're arguing compared to a practical outcome? Well, so, you know, I think certainly fair to recognize you, your mileage may vary around, around what this is. I, I would say in general, you know, certainly to recognize one, this is much more conducive to, I'll broadly say, those in knowledge work domains versus the many people who are still in essential jobs that have heavy physical labor and manual labor components that are important and do need to get done. And, you know, that is work that will work until you physically cannot work. And then 
retirement may of necessity be a harder transition. So I would recognize this is not across all job domains, but frankly, the more we create robots to automate pretty much everything physical and manual, and we do more knowledge work as human beings, I think this only moves more and more in this direction over time as, as the nature of work moves that way. Um, you know, the second piece of this I would add is just, again, the, the nature of the conversation with people is different as well. When you tell someone, hey, you need, I guess, depending on your circumstance, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to ever retire. Frankly, for some people, it's such a large and daunting number. They just assume they're never going to get there. So what the heck, I may as, just, may as well just keep spending. When the goal becomes more achievable, because you don't actually need as large of a nest egg in the first place, it actually becomes more motivating for a lot of people to get there. And suddenly savings habits change, spending habits change. And I, we've seen some people that get more on track because the goal becomes a little bit more tangible than someday, 30 years from now, I'll have a giant pile of money and never need to work. And even though right now I have no piles of money and a lot of work. So changing that frame sometimes helps to actually change the behavior as well. From the uh, portfolio construction and very, very quickly, um, I, I think, again, there are two shifts that come from this. One, often the nest eggs don't actually need to be as large because we're not actually saving for as much. Uh, and I think you may actually see a shift where the nest eggs are not necessarily as long-term oriented. Right? Again, we put heavy growth concentrations because we're trying to do this 30-year compounding thing because it's the only way to create a big enough egg to not need to work ever again. If you're not necessarily trying to create as large of an egg and it's much more about you know the questions we had, the sabbaticals and the, and the periodic breaks throughout, you end out with, I guess, in essence, a, a shorter duration portfolio, nearer term goals that are less about the growth and more about simply having the dollars available to manage the transitions. So finally, are you practicing what you're preaching? Um, not on the sabbaticals end. Uh, just don't see a lot of clients that are willing to make that that shift and transition. No, I mean but for you Yes, personally. absolutely. And having the Michael conversations Kitsis. with people. No, 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 no. I'm going to you, Michael Kitsis. Are you practicing what you're preaching? Oh, oh, me personally. Yeah, you personally. Uh, yes. I, I, have, I have no expectation of... of retiring. We're, we're not even aiming for a number. I wouldn't know what to do with myself uh, uh, if, I was, if I was retired. So yeah, in practice, uh, we keep very, very large cash reserves so that I can make career shifts if I need to. And in fact, I've done several of them through my career, uh, launching businesses, changing my firms I'm working with, uh, changing entire lines of business that I'm focused on, uh, and uh, very much pursuing that, that path as well and living it as we go.